0: So she looked me in the eyes and said, Christians can't do that. And I was a little bit taken aback by that. And I didn't really know how to respond when she said that. And so as we do at times when we're a little bit taken aback, not really sure how to respond, it's something that's a little bit offensive, then you're just like, just kind of laugh it off. Just get out of the conversation as fast as you can. But the words that she said hung with me. As I'm sure words that people have spoken to you before have hung with you and it caused me to to ask some questions that I wasn't sure where the answer would lead So welcome to Pathway Church. My name is Ben Marshall, and I'm one of the pastors here at Pathway. And uh, welcome to you here in this room. Welcome to those who are watching online, to those joining in one of our other venues. What's up, Moon? Uh, If you don't know, we have a campus in Crescent Township, our Moon campus. So hello to everybody there, and uh, to our classic venue as well. Hello, and welcome to everybody watching today. We are continuing our series called Romans Grace Changes Everything. We're nearing the end of our Romans series. We've been in it for a while. We're going to be in Romans chapter 14, but as we get to Romans 14, we look back at Romans 13, and we see that Paul has just finished writing about our love debt toward one another, this debt of love that we owe. And and he talked about how this summary of the law could be summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We ended last week with this verse in in chapter 13 and verse 14 where Paul commended us and said, "'But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires.'" Now, that connects us to our message today, because if you didn't know, for Paul, this letter wasn't disjointed. It's not like he was writing a few verses and then waiting a week and and writing a few more verses and then preaching on them. And like, that's not how Paul wrote this letter. For Paul, it's a continuation of divine thought. For Paul, it was a, a continuation of from chapter 13 to chapter 14 for him is the same letter. He didn't have verses. He didn't have chapters that he was writing. He was just penning a letter to the church in Rome. And so what we looked at last week is a, a continuation of that same divine flow of thought that brings us into what we're going to talk about today. And so today we're going to work our way through Romans chapter 14 verses 1 through 12. Um, if you want to, you can turn in your scripture journal to Romans chapter 14. Uh, you can flip there. Or if you have the YouVersion Bible app or the Pathway app, you can access all that content there. If you brought your own Bible, again, Romans chapter 14. And we're going to jump into just the first half of, of this Chapter And next week, we're going to wrap up with the second half of it. But you got to come to both weeks, okay? If you're here this week, you got to just just do your best to be here next week, in person or online, however you're going to access it. you just got to make sure that you watch next week's message as well because it ties in with this week's, and, and it's really like two sides of the same coin. So you uh, are going to see that both are so necessary for where we are. So Paul continues his divinely authored, authored thought after this. He said, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desire. And then he continues writing, and he says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Very interesting biblical point there. You catch that one, What the weak person eats vegetables? I'm not saying anything about vegetarians. I'm just saying, like— It's in the Bible. I'm just kidding. That's not what he's getting at here. That's not what he's saying. Okay, don't misinterpret this. We don't want to misunderstand. But he does say the weak person eats only vegetables. It was about a diet. We'll get into it in a second. Uh, But then he goes on and he says, Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains in honor of the Lord, sorry, the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. The woman that had confronted me had a strong opinion. She came up and asked me the question as I'm home from fall break in college. She says, Hey, what are you studying? trying to make polite conversation, and my response, like the truthful response, is I I majored in psychology. And so I told her psychology, and she said, oh, Christians can't do that because she had a strongly held opinion that you couldn't be a follower of Jesus and study psychology. Now, obviously, I had a different opinion than her, and so who was right? Which of us was in the wrong? Which of us was in the right there? Well, I had a different opinion and today we're gonna to talk about a matter of opinion. That's kind of where Paul goes here at the beginning of Romans 14 as he's talking about these opinions. Basically, the the language here, the Greek, could be rendered about a matter of opinion, or it could be called a disputable matter. And we're going to use that language quite often here today, Uh, the the matter of disputable matters. And Paul was speaking to preferences, and and these preferences that were happening in the early church here in Rome were not just these preferences where they could like all get along and go along and, and things like that. They were preferences and opinions that were actually causing division, which is why Paul had to write about it. And so these disputable matters were causing division. These opinions had led to divisions, and so he's speaking to them about this. Now, if you didn't know, our denomination uh, as Pathway Church, we are a part of the EFCA, the Evangelical Free Church of America. And the EFCA says it like this. They talk about in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, clarity. You've probably heard Pastor Jeff call it majoring on the majors and minoring on the minors. And that's ultimately what we do. But we we understand that there are certain things that are absolute essentials to the Christian faith. Like if you don't believe these certain essentials, then then you cannot call yourself a follower of Jesus because it's just simply, it's so... so distant from what the Word of God actually teaches. And so there are some absolutely essential doctrines that we must believe if we are to call ourselves followers of Jesus. Some of these essentials would be things that we see directly from the Word of God, such as Jesus being fully God and fully man. We, we look at the, the sacrificial death of, of Jesus on the cross, that he was a, a perfect, sinless sacrifice on the cross for all sinners. That Jesus died and was buried in a tomb and, and bodily resurrected three days Later, The truth that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. The truth that Jesus Christ is coming again. These are essential doctrines, essential truths that you need to know what you believe about these. If you're calling yourself a follower of Jesus, you need to know these essential truths. But there are also non-essentials, like how some passages are interpreted, such as the, the Sabbath law. Do we still follow the Sabbath law? How is that followed? For me, the Sabbath is a work day, right? I, I work on Sundays. It's about the only day I do work. So all the other days are Sabbath, but just kidding. It's a, it's a joke. Um, but the non-essential of church governance, right? The, the non-essential of the style of worship music that we sing, the, the non-essential item of what version of the Bible that we read from. There's an author, his name is Andrew David Niselli, and he wrote a book called Conscience, what it is, how to train it, and loving those who differ. And he wrote this about non-essentials. He said they aren't unimportant. We want to be clear about that. They aren't unimportant. These things do matter. There's some significance to them. They aren't unimportant, but members of the same church should be able to disagree on these issues and still have close fellowship with each other. We should be able to disagree on these matters of opinion, these disputable matters, and still be in close fellowship with one another. So this means that we can disagree without being disagreeable. This means that, that you and I could be uh, discussing or disputing a matter of opinion and us not be jerks to one another, right? We can be kind in our disagreement. We can argue a little bit and, and have like some, some heated debate that, that doesn't end in a fistfight, Right? Or saying things that, that we need to take back and, and apologize and repent of. Like, we can still disagree and not be disagreeable. There's a, a need here for humility and grace in, in the matter of dispute. Because the reality is, like, you might be wrong. And, and your opinion is not doctrine. Doctrine. Right? There's a difference here in these matters. And so in agreement and disagreement with others, we want to treat each other with value and respect and and love our neighbor as ourselves. And so since we live in a politically charged time, why not just like jump into some landmines and share a little bit? Um, So— I was scrolling social media this week and came across a, a post that a pastor had shared, and I thought, man, how, how great of an example for us to use and to realize, like, hey, this is some good, hard truth. Are you guys ready? Let's try that one more time. Are you guys ready? Yes? yes? Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. I know sometimes you're not always ready to hear something that's hard, it's hard-hitting, but uh, we all need it. So um, what he says, his name is Ian Simpkins, and he wrote, If you identify with the word conservative or progressive more than Christian, an adjustment is needed. And I read that and I was like, ooh, all right, all right. He said it and he went there. And how true is that? In the world that we live in today, especially in the United States, we identify with so many labels other than follower of Jesus. And sometimes those labels take us to places where Jesus wouldn't go because that's not what he would say. That's not how he would respond. That's not how he would act. And so we need to be careful. And we see that Paul here was saying, hey, church in Rome, you also need a bit of an adjustment because some of these disputable matters are causing division and that's not okay. So what are some of these things? Some of these matters of opinion Paul referenced they were differing in. Well, you're going to notice here that there's a large whiteboard over here and I took the liberty of go ahead, going ahead and, and drawing my circles ahead of time so that I didn't have to do it in front of all of you because I was a little bit nervous of my artistic ability. Um, so as you can tell, they're perfect circles— uh, But this is a Venn diagram. If you don't know what a Venn diagram is, uh, that's what this is. And we've got some circles that overlap a little bit, all right? So what are some of the things that Paul referenced here about uh, the the differing opinions, right? We have the first one here. He he called them the, the ones who were the vegetarians, right? The weak ones, okay? He said they were only eating veggies, okay? And then so it contrasts with the strong ones then, right? So we've got weak and we have strong Okay, so weak and strong. And then he did talk about this food situation, right? And he talked about how the weak kind of eat veggies, okay? So we've got veggies on this side. And then the people over here on the strong side, they were just kind of eating whatever they wanted, right? So we'll just put, we'll put meat just to reference that. But the reason that this caused so much division is because the meat that they were eating was, was not just like, you know, eating a hamburger or, or whatever, but it, it was like food that was sacrificed to idols. And so these were probably Jews who were upset about it, saying, hey, if you eat that, it's like you're worshiping this false god. But then other people were just like, I just want a hamburger. You know, it's like, have you tried bacon? Yeah, I mean, it's delicious. Like my wife, when we first got married, tried to tell me that turkey bacon and real bacon were the same. And I said, try a piece, and she's never gone back. So, just saying, I mean, if you like turkey bacon, that's fine, but taste buds are different so weak strong veggies meat and and the other one he talked about were these these certain days right so they they had these certain holy days that they held as one day was more important or more significant than the other and and the strong over here like he kind of contrasted and said like hey all days are kind of the same it doesn't matter what day you practice the sabbath if you practice it it's like hey all days are the same and so he kind of compared and contrasted in these differences and, and said hey there are these differences present and what's happening? is these people are judging these people and these people are despising these people and it's like hey this isn't good because it's creating division these things really don't matter all that much and it's so wonderful to realize that in a couple thousand years since then we have matured so well as human beings just kidding just kidding, right? I mean, we have different disputes. This is a big one, right? The, the KJV, right? The King James only crowd, right? This is big in, in churches, right? King James only. If there's any other translation, it's not of the Bible. And so we have, we'll just put NIV over here because that's primarily what we use here at Pathway, the new international version. So the Bible version we read can be a matter of opinion that is divisive. Now, it is important to to realize that different translations of the Bible actually use different elements of the original manuscripts to translate. So some of them, like the message, is really a paraphrase of a translation. It's less of a translation of the original document. So it is, there are some differences and some nuances to maybe understand, but really, what's the best translation of the Bible? Anybody know? The best translation of the Bible? The The one you read right? And so, hey, it doesn't matter if it's the KJV, if it's the NIV, if it's the MSG, whatever it is, are you reading the Word of God? That's the message. That's shorthand for the—it's not the, like, additive to food. It's the message. So, anyway, but the, the translation of the Bible used, another divisive one. Now, this hit before, really before I was uh, maybe alive, if that dates me, I don't know, or you. I'm, I apologize in advance. But, like, the, the worship music that we engage in, right? The, the worship music that we have uh, as a part of the worship experience. I do vividly remember, though, when I was growing up in church and, uh, and I remember the first time a, an acoustic guitar showed up on stage, right? It was a big deal. No one touched it. No one referenced it. No one played it for a few weeks. And then it like moved and went to a different side of the stage and i was like you know it was like very it was very controversial um but you know we we have differences in opinion of of music so we've got hymns and we'll just go modern like maybe it's contemporary christian music or whatever it might be we've got some differences some challenges some uniquenesses here and uh you know if we wanted to get political just like because we referenced it earlier we could go uh we could go conservative or progressive, right? We could just kind of toss those names in there. And, uh, and, and so we have some of these divisions. We have some of these things that are more so matters of opinion. They're disputable matters than they are doctrinal matters. So I'm gonna leave that list up there for a little bit just for you to enjoy if you uh, really are just against some of those things and stuff. I left some things off intentionally, but it's just, it's exciting to have some of these matters of opinion things. I love some of these conversations. It's so much fun to have them, um, so if you want to have a conversation with me, I'd love to get into that. But anyway, uh, what did Paul say to the Roman believers about these divisions? And so he referenced like, hey, both sides are wrong. Like it's not like one side is doing things well and the other side is, is not doing things well. Both sides were wrong here. And so he gets into it a little bit. And, and what does he say? So the first one, your, your first uh, point there in your handout, if you have your pathway notes or you're following along, is learn how to graciously disagree. We need to learn how to graciously disagree. And so Paul steps into this. And, and some of the language that he uses about this, this weaker person uh, eating these vegetables, like you, you can, you can kind of tell Paul doesn't identify with that crowd right? This is not the, the crowd that Paul runs in. He's like, hey, you know what? Like anything's fair game, uh, especially game. Like, uh, you know, get me some meat. You know, he's like, he, he's like, I don't subscribe to like the weaker um, people in this particular passage. But what does he not tell the weaker people to do in this passage? He doesn't say, you're wrong, change. He doesn't say, well, that's silly. Don't believe that. That's not actually true. Actually, here's what is true. Like he doesn't, he doesn't change the matter of their conscience because it's a matter of opinion. He doesn't try to get them to to follow his way of living because for them it's a matter of conscience and and they would feel like they're sinning against their conscience if they don't do these things. And so he called them weaker in faith and, and made it clear that he didn't tell them to change their mind but called them to be able to live in community together. So he highlighted these matters of opinion and said that these should not be a cause for division we referenced him earlier, but Andrew David Nicelli also wrote this. He wrote, mature Christians should help other Christians train their consciences, but no one should force others to change their conscience. Because if something for you feels sinful, then why would I try to put my thing on you? Like if you think that the drinking alcohol is sinful, like I'm not gonna come and, and just like bring you something to drink and, and say like, well, no, you're wrong. And here's all the biblical passages about why, you're, why I can and why you should and like, let's like, that's not the problem. Like, that's not creating unity. That just is, is creating division. It's like, hey, that's, like, that's cool. Like, no big deal. That's kind of where Paul is going here. And so what we struggle with is we too easily cause division over disputable matters. Instead, the, the pos- position and posture of our heart must be to seek unity in eternal matters rather than division in disputable matters. And so may we learn how to graciously disagree. We learn next, that we need to let God be the judge. This is point number two. Let God be the judge. We, we see that Paul references this in verses three through four. In verses 10 through 11, he talks about, Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. Uh, verses 10 and 11 Talk about why do you pass judgment on your brother or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. The half-brother of Jesus, who is James, he wrote a letter uh, in in the book of the Bible bearing his name, James, and, and he wrote this in chapter four of his book in verse 12. He said, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy, the one God who has the absolute power of life and death. But who are you? to hypocritically or self-righteously pass judgment on your neighbor. Again, these brothers and sisters in Christ weren't just having small disagreements and and moving on in fellowship. Instead, they were dividing and breaking from fellowship because of these matters of opinion. There were two reactions, the, the despising of one and the judgment of the other, and neither of them were godly responses. Paul wrote and reminded them that, hey, God has welcomed them. God has caused them to—or the Lord is able to make him stand. Um, And he says, hey, God is the judge and and you are not. And so we need to let God be the judge. You and I are are not the judge of other people's actions in this matter of context. Now, to to be very clear, as we talk about this, we— also need to make make certain that we're understanding what Paul is referencing here. He is very much referencing matters of opinion, not matters of sin and salvation. And so when your brother or sister is sinning, it is absolutely within your responsibility as a follower of Jesus, as a brother or sister in Christ To correct them. It is absolutely your responsibility to confront them in their sin and lead them back to Jesus. Like, this is not saying, hey, don't judge a brother or sister in their sin. Like, you don't know what kind of day they've had. It's like, no, that's different. That's not a matter of opinion. That's a matter of sin and salvation. And so that's a whole different ballgame. That's not at all what Paul is referencing here. The issue that we get into is that we make judgments at times about things that are, are not judgeable offenses. And that's not our role. We need to understand that it is not the debt that we owe to the family of God to highlight where somebody is is a weaker or a stronger vessel, to, to judge somebody for the way they live out their faith in the way that is maybe a little bit different than yours. Instead, we remember from last week that our debt to one another owe no one anything except to love each other. This love debt that Pastor Jeff reminded us of in Romans 13. That is the debt that we owe. So we are not the judge. We are not the master. We realize that that we serve the judge and we serve the master, and he alone is the one who can dictate that. And so we see again that we too easily cause division over disputable matters. Instead, our heart must be to seek unity in eternal things, not division in disputable matters. Point number three is to live fully convinced in your conscience. Live fully convinced in your conscience. The, the truth about disputable matters is they can be disputed, and that's okay. The idea of a dispute is an argument, <laughs> is a, a disagreement. So you believe one thing and I believe another thing, and, and we have a disagreement about that. So again, whatever it might be, like, I mean, growing up, maybe you were not allowed to go to the movie theater. Maybe you weren't allowed to play cards. Maybe you weren't allowed to dance, right? Footloose is famous for for some of this stuff, right? Maybe you only sung hymns. Maybe you were only like a KJV-only church that you grew up in or whatever it might be. Like some of these things, we can have a healthy discussion about it. But the thing about a healthy discussion is it's healthy. And in that discussion, it's a healthy dispute. And, And the reality of it is like, hey, we still come together as brothers and sisters at the end of the day because we're unified in the things that matter. And so the truth about disputable matters is they can be disputed, and so there's healthy discussion and disagreement. And so we want to obey our conscience and, and follow it and live fully convinced in it. What, what uh, Paul says in verse 5, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And so... He says, hey, obey your your own mind, like be fully convinced of it. But again, remember that these things are are not related to sin. This is not like, hey, I'm fully convinced that I can commit adultery and get away with it. And it's like totally fine, like no big deal. No, that's not what this means. It does not mean that you can be fully convinced in your mind. Like I can go rob a bank and it's like no big deal. Like it's not an issue. Like, no, that's not not at all what Paul is saying here. This is not saying like, oh yeah, I can go lie to my parents and disobey them because like I want to. And it's going to be fine and okay. I'm fully convinced that that's okay. No, <laughs> that is not what Paul is saying here. He's not talking about matters of sin. He's talking about matters of opinion, right? So if like, if, if I want to mow my lawn on Sunday, I can mow my lawn on Sunday. It's not that big a deal. I went to church with somebody who would just refuse. He would not do a single thing on Sunday. He would not mow his lawn. He would not do any sort of physical labor. That's fine. It's not a big deal. I'm going to mow my lawn on Sunday if I need to, right? And like, it wasn't an issue, It's not a big deal. It's a matter of opinion. It's not really that big of a deal. And so you want to be fully convinced in your mind, but only as it lines up with what the Word of God actually teaches about these non-essential matters. And so we may disagree on certain matters, but the reality of what we want to remember is we kind of go back to this list and we see like, okay, we haven't filled anything in the middle of the Venn diagram, right? It's the thing that kind of brings the two sides together. And so what we see is the thing that actually unifies us, or the one who actually unifies us, is Jesus. This is the reality of what it is to follow Jesus, is that he is the one who brings us to a place of unity. And so as we are unified under the banner of Jesus, what that means for us is that these things no longer have as much sway over us. So like this doesn't really matter as much because we're not looking to this for our identity. We're not looking to this to fulfill something in us that we feel is missing. We're not looking to any of those things. Instead, who are we looking to and what are we looking to? We are looking to Jesus. To be the one who gives us our identity. To be the one who determines how we should live our lives. To be the one who determines how we should interact and engage with one another. Because, honestly, it's all about Jesus. Like, none of these things really matter. Like, this is kind of the central point of everything we do here at Pathway. It's kind of the central point of everything you're going to read in the scriptures. It's kind of the central point of, of all of this stuff. It's like, it's all about Jesus. Our unity is found in Jesus alone. Because you and I can disagree, and in the world, that means like, hey, we can't be friends. But here, what it means in the family of Jesus is that we can't can still be friends. We can get along even if we don't agree with one another in certain areas. We don't really see this many places in the world, but the church ought to be this, this haven, a place where we can come and, and have strong emotional disagreements and still love each other well. That would be an incredible place to be a part of, right? How compelling of a vision would that be for the world that we live in? To understand and and know that what binds us together is not that we're blood relatives, but that we're blood-bought children in the same family under the banner of Jesus Christ as he's adopted us into his family. That's amazing. That's the reality of what we get to experience as followers of Jesus is that we are united by a bond that holds us so much stronger than than family or party or anything like that because we are united by the blood of Jesus. But one of our challenges is that we too easily cause division over disputable matters. And so instead, we want our hearts to seek unity in eternal matters rather than division in disputable matters. We need to make sure that we're not making disputable matters, doctrinal matters, so that it destroys our testimony before the world who's watching. We see next that God's honor is our motivation. Verses 6 through 9 lay this out, that God's honor is our motivation. Paul was talking about how the one who abstains, abstains to the Lord. The one who indulges, indulges to the Lord. They, They were faithfully following the Lord as they were doing these things. And so he's saying, hey, this is, again, not a sin issue. How many times can I say it? Like, it's not a sin issue. It's it's a matter of opinion. And because it's a matter of opinion, you can do this according to the Lord and and honor him and glorify him in that. And you can do this and glorify and honor God in that. And how amazing it is that that those don't collide as as contradictory. So these non-essential things, Paul was giving them the benefit of the doubt and and seeing like, hey, your, your motivation is still following God. He says the one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. And same with the one who abstains. All of them are giving thanks to the Lord. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And so we want to understand that, hey, as we live our lives, we're ultimately not living for ourselves. We're not living for the people around us, but we are living for the Lord to make him and and his name and his glory known amongst all the world that we go into. We're making him well known. And so... As we look at this, we also know that, that God isn't isn't looking for like robots and clones and people are just like, oh, yes sir, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. and, and like we're all the same, and we're all like, like that's not what he's looking at. Like all of us are, are unique and individuals, and, and so it's going to look different for each of us. The, the way you follow Jesus is going to look different. Your spiritual habits are going to look different than mine because we're in different life stages. We have different families. We have different upbringings. We have different things that, that we're like passionate about and, and things of that nature, and so we understand that there are differences here, and those uniquenesses though are not opportunities to despise someone for looking or living differently than you, or to judge someone for looking or living differently than you, but they actually bring us together and and reveal continually how creative our God is. I have a five and a half, like almost six-year-old daughter, who is just very artistic like the way her mind works, it, I, I don't understand how she even like comes up with some of the things that she comes up with. And, and I look at her and I, I realize like this is just evidence of the creativity of God because I look at the things that she creates and I'm like, like where did that come from? Like, what have you ever seen that, like, that looked like that or, like, made you think, like, put these elements together and, like, do all this kind of stuff with, like—it just is, is amazing um, to, to see her create some of these things, and it reminds me of the uniqueness. Like, I'm not mad at her for it. I don't despise her or judge her because she's got a different personality and, and different wiring than I do, right? That's not, that's not how it is. I'm, I'm, like, proud of her for the gift that God has given to her, and so it, it becomes this, this thing that unites us together instead of drives us— apart these uniquenesses. And so the motivation behind everything that we do, the motivation behind our words, our thoughts, our actions, the intentions of our entire lives needs to be pursuing uh, the, the honor of the Lord. And so as we live to honor him, we live to him and, and, and follow the example that Jesus set for us. When we think of the example that Jesus set for us, we remember that Jesus set us an example where he sacrificed his comfort. He sacrificed his security. He sacrificed his safety. He sacrificed his right. He sacrificed his very life for people who were undeserving sinners who were going to betray and hate and despise him. You and me. But also that original crowd, the ones who actually crucified him. Even on the cross, Jesus is there saying what? What? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The love of our Father poured out through the blood of Jesus Christ so that you and I could be at peace with God. Jesus sacrificed everything for them and for us, including his very life, because of his love for us. As you think about following his example, are you willing to forego your preference or your opinion for the sake of the gospel? Are you willing to overlook your opinion in order to love your neighbor as yourself? That can be very challenging. That can be something we don't naturally do. And in the busy pace of the life that we live, it can be something that we don't often engage in because it requires something of us that maybe we don't have some extra energy or extra emotional uh, whatever or or extra mental capacity, like whatever it is, like maybe we don't quite feel like we have the ability to do that or we don't have the the biblical knowledge to even be able to step into some of that, but we just need to start somewhere to start faithfully following Jesus and loving other people well. It starts small. It starts simple. And as the Lord continues to to build and to grow your heart in that, he's going to continue to bring you opportunities to express it. But our challenge is that we too easily cause division over disputable matters. Instead, our our heart must be to seek unity in eternal things rather than division in disputable matters. Lastly, we need to keep in mind that, that you will give an account before God. You will give an account before God. Verse 12 says, So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Verse 10 says, For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. One day you will give an account for your life. You're not going to give an account for someone else's life, and you're not going to give an account to, to me. You're not going to give an account to somebody else. You and God are going to be one on one, and you're going to give an account of your life, which can be either terrifying. Well, most often it's probably, like, just kind of terrifying. Like, it's a little bit scary to think about, like, that's intense, right? One of my, like, one of the scariest verses in the Bible to me is that I'm going to give an account for every careless word that I speak. It's like, oof, that's a tough one. That's a tough one, but that's true. So we're going to give an account of, of ourselves before God. And so what does that do for, for you? What emotions does that bring up in you? What feelings does that bring up in you? What thoughts does that bring up in you? That that one day you will give an account before God, like you will stand before him, whether you believe in him or not, whether you follow his son, Jesus, or not, you're gonna give an account to him. And so what are you gonna say on that day? One day you're gonna give an account to him. And so the more we keep in mind that, that we will give an account to God, the more spiritually minded we become because we start to think these things differently. We start to live a little bit differently when it's like, I'm gonna give an account before God for that. It's gonna be an awkward one, right? You ever, like, have these, like, these are really thought, like, real thoughts, right? I mean, you, you can have these things and then think, like, this conversation between God and I is just gonna be really awkward for how disobedient I was to Him, you know? But it's the reality of what we're gonna experience. We, we get to give an account before Him. So the more we keep that in mind, the the more that we're going to to actually want to follow Jesus, because we realize, like, one, we have to give an account, which is kind of scary, but also the reality is, like, it could be a positive account. It could be a good accounting of you actually following Jesus, and and faithfully serving Him, and and loving Him, and loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This could actually be a, a positive thing. It doesn't have to be intimidating, and scary, and like, ooh, this is gonna be not a good one, right? But, as we think about this, we're going to be less likely to be concerned about the, the behaviors and, and lives of, of other people, right? As you think about, like, you give an account for your life, not anybody else's life, and so you can't control what anybody else does, so why despise somebody else for, for just living a little bit differently than you, right? Again, not a sin issue. This is like not—we're not talking about sin issues here. We're talking about matters of opinion. So why despise one or judge another because they're, they're living differently than you this life of faith? You're gonna give an account for your life and no one else's. When the time comes to stand before God, He's not going to to sit you down and go through your doctrinal understanding and say, okay, what is your eschatological leaning? He's not gonna sit there and ask you, so did you believe in the gap theory or a literal seven day creation? He's also not gonna sit you next to somebody else and compare you and say, like, well, this person was slightly better than you, and so they're in and you're out. Oh, your your good deeds slightly outweighed your bad deeds, so like, welcome home, bud. Like, that's not what he's gonna do. Instead, what is he going to do? He's going to ask you, Do you believe in my Son, Jesus Christ? That he died on the cross for your sins, that he was buried in a tomb, and that he rose three days later from the grave? Do you believe that his shed blood wiped away all of your sins by grace through faith in him? Do you believe in my son as your Lord and your Savior, the Messiah? Did you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength while you were there on the earth? Did you love your neighbor as yourself? Those are going to be the things that concern him. Those are going to be the the things that, that bring that answer, well done, my good and faithful servant. And so as we think about these things and, and remind ourselves that we are going to give an account before the Lord, it helps center us in the things that are actually important. The things that are actually essential. Knowing that the focus of our life, will be focused on Jesus. That account will be focused on a relationship to Jesus. So we want to seek unity in eternal matters rather than division in disputable matters because those are the things that are eternal. We want to focus on these eternal matters, these things that that belong to the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, these essentials. I believe that one of the devil's most effective attacks is when he can get us to divide over silly things. He gets us riled up and just so emotional and so overwhelmed and and so consumed with these little things that, in the grand scheme of eternity, don't matter all that much. They're not unimportant, so don't hear that. But in the grand scheme of eternity, what is most important? It's not about communicating what you're against. People know often what you're against, but do they know what you're for? Do they know who you follow? Do they know the difference that Jesus has made in your life? And the answer is going to be revealed in the way that you treat them, the way that you love your brother and sister in Christ, but also the way that you love your neighbor who dresses different, who acts different, who behaves different, who doesn't believe what you believe. Like the way that you love the people that are hard to love is going to reveal the maturity of your faith and how in tune your heart is with the heart of your Heavenly Father. It all comes back to Jesus, right? This is the the center of of it all, is is Jesus. This is where we put our focus. This is where we we come to be unified. This is the one who we believe in. It's all about Jesus. Again, when we give an account before God, what will your answer be when he asks you about your relationship with Jesus? Are you going to be able to say, yes, I, I know him, and I believe in him, and I followed him, and I served him with all of my life? Or will you say, actually, I don't know him. Who is he? Jesus? No. Or are you going to say, like, yeah, I kind of knew him, kind of followed him, like went to church a little bit, but, but it didn't really, like, impact my life much. Like, where are you at in your relationship to Jesus? I would encourage you to, to not leave here until you figure that out, until you figure out the answer to that. Because one day you will give, it, you will give an account and you'll, you'll be forced into answering that question. It's not one that you'll be able to get away from. So don't run from it now, but jump into it. Ask yourself that question. What do I believe about Jesus? Do I believe that he is my Lord and my Savior? Do I believe that he did die on a cross for my sins? The perfect sinless sacrifice, the sacrifice I couldn't make for myself, that he was buried in the tomb, that he rose from the dead three days later. That he made a way for me to be at peace with God. That he says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to God except through Jesus. Do you believe in him? If not, come talk to me. Find somebody else in the I'm on the way shirts. Find one of our pastors and talk to them about it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to, to study your word, to look more deeply into what your word says to our lives and how it comes to bear over some div- divisive issues, but ultimately these matters of opinion. God, I pray that you would bring us to a place of, of humility and gentleness in our opinions, that, that we, we believe them and we're, we're convinced of them, but we don't force them upon others, that we would follow the, the better way of Jesus. That we would pursue unity under the banner of Jesus Christ. That we would allow you, Holy Spirit, to to come into our our hearts and and renovate our hearts and restore our hearts and redeem our hearts so that we more closely follow you and desire after you each and every day. We pray that we would use your word and and write it on our hearts. Memorize it so that we know it. And it sets the way for us to to not live in sin, but to live in truth. to, To live righteous lives. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.